0: Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out.
1: Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaracus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before so welcome to let's talk
0: native with john kane so welcome to the program well we got uh indigenous people's day behind us um It was kind of a busy weekend for me. I did a a couple of events. I uh, was part of a Zoom call associated with the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, This event was produced out of California. Um, So, uh, look, one of the things that I want to talk about on today's program is really that we are gaining ground. We are moving the dial, so to speak. And I know it's easy for me to come on here and talk about all the things that are wrong. And there's plenty wrong (laughs) And I can, you know, I can spend show after show after show talking about uh, examples of oppression that uh, not only are historical, but that are are contemporary. I can talk about, you know, the ills and the injustices, all of that stuff. And I can even, if I, if I choose to, you know, deride a certain amount of um, the pushback that previous generations did, you know, they didn't do enough. We lost land, we lost culture, we lost language, we lost, and, but as we sit here today, we can't know what they were going through as they were clinging on to even the, the bits and pieces of our culture, of our language, of our lands, um, so that we have, so we have the foundation that we have today. We can't pretend to know the adversity that those who came before us, so we can talk to our parents or our grandparents, but even some of that fades over time. We don't, They can't relive that experience in the same way uh as they did as as they lived it in uh in in real time so i wanted to spend some time today talking about what we have accomplished and and recognizing that yeah we're making up for some lost ground some ground that was lost not just by you know perhaps our own inactivity but perhaps by uh you know by some of the failings of previous generations whatever the circumstances were for that but look we are accomplishing some things, and we are utilizing tools that previous generations never had. You know, some of the information that's in front of us, some of our our knowledge about uh, technology, our knowledge about our adversaries. We know more about their political system, about their legal system, about their capitalist system than we did than than our previous generations knew. We. You know, oftentimes have gotten sucked into those things, uh, in, into those elements of their culture in a way that seems almost like we can't get rid of it. But you know, I've talked about decolonization on this program, and 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 again, being a part of this this event uh, tied to the Poor People's Campaign, where we got to, where I got a chance to talk about one of the things that contribute to our poverty. I got to talk about decolonization in a way that advances this notion that we still have control we don't have to push for legislation by them we don't have to push for oversight and and for funding and for all we we still can control a lot of what what we need to control and you know when i talk about decolonization as as you know I talk about stripping away their systems of oppression, not trying to exploit them, not trying to figure out a way that we can use their tools to fix our problems. That just contributes to the problems, but getting a chance to speak in a forum uh, with, with people from all over uh, Turtle Island and realizing that some of what I'm saying, isn't what everybody else is saying and not to do that and not get pushback and to do that. And actually, have some people say they 're glad they glad they 're glad that I said some of those things, and realizing that that sometimes you know I can feel a little bit like an outlier, but the reality is i 'm saying the things that need to be said that and per- perhaps some things that haven 't been said, and even if people haven 't gotten to the same place in uh, in in strategizing the way that I wish we were or where I wish we were the message isn't rejected and not out of hand. And, and I, and again, I attribute this to some of the six, you know, I, I call that success and I don't mean personal success. I just mean that we've experienced enough in this generation. And, and when I say this generation, I'm including my generation, my kids and my, and my grandkids now. So I guess I'm including three generations that we've experienced enough to say, Maybe the old systems that we that we've employed, even things that we think have been our systems, which may or may not have been, maybe what we what we've employed hasn't worked. But we are still advancing some things. Uh, You know, uh, Indigenous Peoples Day is behind us. I participated in a an event out in uh, Avon, New York, which was which is opposing a major like. This is, this is a solar farm development that is so huge. It's like six and a half miles by two miles uh, wide, I mean, six and a half miles long. It's, it would be the equivalent of something like 3,000 uh, full football fields of, of solar panels. And, you know, to suggest that a solar panel is a great idea sounds good. I mean, oh, sustainable energy. Yeah, sounds good. But when you realize that the economic impact of doing these massive projects And because these are being proposed in this massive way, because these are about this is about money. This is about creating something at a scale that is the most profitable for, you know, for these multinational corporations who are trying to make inroads, utilizing fossil fuels oftentimes or or their connection to fossil fuels to control the sustainable energy market and of course linking them together but we got a chance to go out there and there was you know several hundred of us there i i would say and we were joined by by some of this, the the town or the village leaders in in those areas that are that are also opposed to some of this project i'm not saying these projects don't have some support they do but we got we have our voice being heard and and this for for us look we've had a hell of a time just fighting for the stuff right within our immediate communities. But now our voices are being listened to as we venture out of our communities into some our more broad, uh, you know, um, ancestral lands and look, our our words are being heard and you can hear various speakers. Just really speak, uh, not just intelligently, because of course we're going to speak intelligently, but, but, Speak to these issues in a way that addresses the science, that addresses the uh, the history, uh, that addresses the culture, and and being able to pull at the heartstrings at the same time. And we are having more success. Look, did we stop the Dakota Access Pipeline? No. But we raised a lot of awareness. And look, we are... <laughs> where we're at with a lot of these, these social justice issues, these land use issues, these, you know, these these sovereignty autonomy issues. If we, if we think that we fail, if we don't accomplish all of our goals, then we're not really assessing, um, the incremental changes that we make. Look, I turned 60 years old this past year. I'll be 61 in a couple of months. And I'll admit I thought we'd be much farther along when I got here. You know, it's like age creeps up on you real fast. And you know, I, I was talking to people at this at this at this event uh, in Avon, New York. You know, I'm seeing people that that I've looked stu- stood side by side with for for decades, and we're all getting old. But you know what? There's young people in that crowd too. There's college kids in there. there there's teenagers in that crowd, and they, you know, look. They're not just hearing us but maybe they're even growing weary of hearing us because they don't think we've done enough in the same way that I can look at previous generations and say, maybe they should have done more. I'm hoping the young people are looking at us and saying, yeah, yeah, you guys had your shot. And, um, we, we want to carry the torch and, and, and that's kind of what we're, we're prepping. But look, this past indigenous people's day is the first one that we've had where we can tangibly see the effects of another movement that we become the beneficiaries of. And I'm talking about the black lives movement, a black lives matter movement is, you know, which obviously gained a lot of attention as they continue to, uh, provide pushback on on death by cop, especially with the murder of George Floyd and the murder of Breonna Taylor, and 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 so many more before them and since then I mean, the shooting, not just the the murders, but the the shootings and and, and all of this stuff. And of course, you know, mix into that the not only the street protests, but then the you know these white uh, right wing white supremacists that that have uh, come onto the stage. We have seen how much attention that, uh, that racial justice issues, social justice issues have, have grabbed onto. And so some things have happened in this past year. That, like I said, this is the first Indigenous People's Day um, since the, the Washington football team changed its name. The the Cleveland baseball team dropping its logo and and it may be the last time that they use their you know stereotype uh, a mask uh, name for a team. Uh, the we've seen uh, Columbus statues not just toppled but defaced and destroyed. We've seen cities take those same those same statues down. Whether it was in anticipation of what you know, some of this social justice and this racial justice movement was going to do to their statues. I think one of the reasons Buffalo removed theirs was because they're afraid it was going to get vandalized. But regardless, these are accomplishments and these are things some of these issues we've been fighting for decades. The Washington football team, we've you know and I'm not saying we we haven't brought a lot of attention to it. And and part of what's happened in the battle that we've had with the Washington football team is is that we've seen high schools abandon racial slurs for names and, and, and native mascots. So we've seen a lot of that. And, and again, the black lives matter movement, it wasn't built for us, but we became the beneficiaries of some of that, that awakenness that, that has come with, with highlighting and pointing out the, uh, some of these, these race, racial issues, you know, look, it was, it wasn't a big leap to go from Confederate statues to, um, uh, to statues of, Conquistadors, or um, Hunapercera religious statues, or uh, or even you know these Columbus statues it's not a, it's not a big stretch. However, there hasn't been that much crossover up in, uh, until recently. So, look, I've got to I've got to give credit to to those all of us uh, that have been involved in these uh, in, in these efforts for for decades, but. <laughs> I got to give some extra credit to our allies, or as I you know prefer to call them, are the accomplices that we have um, that are may not be native, or the connections that we've made with the, with some of these other non-native movements to uh, again to to strengthen our, our, our movement, to strengthen our causes, our common ground. I got to give credit to that. Look, we've seen more uh, Columbus statues downed in the last six months than we've seen in years. And again, the mascot issue. And when I want to point to, to some of the other accomplishments and look, we can debate on how effective some of these have been. The UN declaration, on the rights of indigenous peoples it passed in 2007. Our previous gen- gener- generations before us didn't have that kind of international attention. Now, granted it got passed in 2007, but the U S and Canada and Australia, and New Zealand, they rejected it. But, in the last decade, they have kind of come around and said, well, we support the aspirations of the, uh, of the Declaration. And we, little by little, are using more of the language of that. You know, I, I've got to point out things like um, the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. This, was a, this is a conversation that's, that's fairly recent. Previous generations didn't highlight these issues. And part of the issue is that we've had great people like Stephen Newcomb, Sheldon Wolfchild, other people who've, who've stepped up to do the research, you know, write the books, do the do the movies, do the videos, and we've utilized the internet. So we've we've gotten to see you know speakers, uh, you know, from 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 all over the place talk about some of these issues. So we are moving the ball forward. Uh, you look, I'm not i I know that i'm not alone in some of my frustration about the speed with which we show these you know show accomplishments, but it doesn't mean the accomplishments aren't there it, they they certainly are there and i and I do i, I want to, i want to talk about some of what we've accomplished like i said we you know, did we stop this solar project in Avon New York? No, but you know what <laughs> we brought a lot of attention to it and and it's going to be increasingly difficult for projects like this to To happen and to to be developed uh, you know, without us being no without us knowing about it and without us taking a stand on it, you know. And, and look, I'm not against solar energy or wind energy, but when it turns into these multi billion dollar n- multinational corporations that come into an area and just gobble up a bunch of land, and in this situation, land that is ancestral land of the Senecas. I mean, it, and it's not just this is where the Senecas, you know. Uh, had a main, um, uh, uh, you know, th- uh, this was a place where they lived, and they had a, a, a major uh, villages and, and developments there. This is where where they were born and they were buried. This is this is an area that is you know essentially integral to the history of uh, of the Seneca people. So it isn't just an area that we say, well, it's within our general claim, uh, you know, um, ancestral land. No, this was this was uh, you know a, a Seneca village. Uh, and, and again, lands that were oftentimes um, defrauded out from underneath our, our own occupation. So this was, this was kind of a, a, this was a coming home of almost a bit of a coming home ceremony for many people. So this was an event that was, was there to, to, to raise our voices up against a mega project on, on uh, ancestral Seneca land, but also in a way, a bit of a coming together for uh indigenous people's day, but. Look, when I saw the turnout, look, there were, there were maybe a couple of hundred people there. And considering the, the the global pandemic that we're in, that's a pretty good turnout. And, you know, of course, the weather, uh, you know, um, <laughs> cooperated with us uh, looking, you know, this whole Genesee Valley area. It's, it's beautiful, especially, especially this time of year. And it was great. I mean, look, with all the lockdown stuff, I saw people I haven't seen some in, in six months you know, or or a year even it's been that long since I've seen some of these people. So it was, it was good to go out to this event. Look, I also participated on a a special indigenous people's day show for WPFW. Uh, That was uh, an opportunity to, to speak to the Washington uh, radio listening audience about issues that, uh, that again, we haven't had, we haven't been able to put a voice to. So when I think about, even what we accomplish here with with let's talk native and, and you know, the podcasts and the videos and that kind of stuff, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have people doing this, um, you know, 10 years ago. Well, I guess I was doing it 10 years ago. That's about when I started, but this is something that, that has been hard for us to, um, you know, make inroads to, And, and, and look, we are accomplishing some of those things. So, I mean, look, just over this weekend, the poor people's campaign, which has opened itself up to uh, to an indigenous people's component uh, to to raise the the policy issues that uh, that you know create poverty not just in uh, inner cities and uh, and and for other peoples of color, but for for us. So that that's a door that that, that has been opened, and we we take the opportunity to speak and uh, speak to those issues. Um, Again, the, the the Columbus statues that have been been removed, this was an opportunity for us to to not only express a certain amount of appreciation for benefiting from the Black Lives Matter movement, but to again continue to to pound on those issues. My video, Columbus uh uh in his own words, the the video that that Jake and I put together uh has had an uptick in viewership. I know more and more people are looking at it uh and and hopefully these videos can be used in a way, maybe they get used in a classroom. I know it's tough because people, some of the truths that we talk about are uncomfortable. But, you know, even as I spoke to people at this event in Avon, New York, I you know, it's funny because a few people say, yeah, sometimes you say some things and I'm just, you know, and it just kind of makes my, my spine, you know, freeze up a little bit. I says, yeah, but if I say something that seems like it's too far or, you know, gone too far, Put that against the backdrop of history and it doesn't seem like it's, it's that extreme. Look, I'm not, I'm not, you know, promoting violence per se. I'm not, maybe I'm not condemning it, <laughs> but, but I, but I'm not trying to organize, you know, some uh, violent demonstrations, you know, on the platform that I've developed here. You know, one thing I want to keep this platform going um, if others do it, well, then I'll talk about it. But, and in fact, over the weekend, there was there was an effort. Um, they, they actually gave it a name. They called it the Indigenous Day of Rage. You know, so this is leading into what has been previously known as Columbus Day, and it is now in more and more places being called Indigenous Peoples Day. But in places like Portland and Chicago, there has been a real effort to to rip down some of the racist statues that are statues. Again, most people would not necessarily associate. Uh, Abraham Lincoln as a racist statue. Why? Because they don't know about the Dakota 38. They don't know that he, he signed an execution order for people who who were for 38 men who were executed a week before his emancipation proclamation. So when we raise that issue and say, no, that's a racist statue too, or, or, or Theodore Roosevelt or, or, or so many other people in history, when you, when you really take a look at them, when you get rid of all of the, the propaganda that is taught about these people, and we have an honest conversation about their, their white supremacy. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln was a white supremacist. There's no question about that. And if anybody wants to debate it well, you yeah, have to free the slaves, well, kind of, I mean, he issued the emancipation proclamation for what a slave revolt. He never thought that, that black men should be equal to white men. He, he didn't believe it was possible that why? Because he was a white supremacist. So when I see native people taking things farther than my generation did or the generation before us. I'm not, I'm not telling them to, 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 to stand down, stand back or, or stand by. I'm saying, look, I'm empowering. I I, I want to give you my power. I, mean, I want you to go farther than what I've gone. And you know what they have. And that's what we're seeing. So yeah, this, you know, I, I didn't even know about this until Jake was, uh, was kind of filling me in there's, there's just so much stuff going on in the world right now, but this is the thing. We have the opportunity to, to come together. And so when we see, will there be an indigenous day of rage next year, or maybe even sometime between now and, the, and, and next year, perhaps, and maybe this is something that, that grows in traction. Now, I don't have a problem ripping down a bunch of statues. Uh, you know, fr- and frankly, when I hear people call that violence, that's not violence. Unless the statue is knocked down on top of somebody, it's not an act of violence. It, that is a nonviolent direct action. And, and I'm, you know, I'll definitely advocate for that. And when I hear people say that these, you know, ripping down these statues is, is trying to hide history. No, it's not. The statues themselves are, are hiding history because they, are, they represent false narratives. They represent, you know, just they represent lies. I mean when when people want to make up these stories to to heroize you know Roosevelt or, or or Lincoln or George Washington let's balance whatever the you know the narratives that are out there for our for our little kids to read in their history books well let's put some truth to that let's tell the truth about what George Washington did uh, did during the order for the Sullivan campaigns let's let's tell the truth about what Thomas Jefferson suggested in terms of how to how to you know screw us out of our lands let's tell the truth about these things let's tell the truth about columbus let's tell the truth about the catholic church and the role that they played in in some of this and not just in the the doctrine of christian discovery but the role that the churches have played in the residential schools i mean I'm, I'm meeting with people you know on a daily basis who had no idea what the resident what the indian boarding schools were the indian residential schools were they didn't know on the other hand, there's also a certain amount of um, uh, owning up to our complicity in some of these things that, that I want to talk about. And that's, that's an uncomfortable truth. Look, I'm not just trying to make white people squirm. I, and if I do make white people squirm, I'm not too worried about that. I think it's important that they know some of the truth. But I'm also, we've got we've to take responsibility. You know, so when I get into a conversation with people who want to talk about decolonization, and in the second breath, want to say, and that's why we're pushing for new federal legislation to, uh, uh, for truth and reconciliation on residential schools or uh, new legislation to protect uh, indigenous women. I'm thinking, how is that decolonization? That's using their system, which is part of the problem. The judicial system, their legal system has never been fair to native people or, or other people of color. So the idea that we're going to employ that system. I mean, that's to me, that's that's as absurd as us using any of their agencies or their systems to solve other the problems on our territories. Look, alcohol didn't we didn't produce alcohol on our territories. It's brought in. It was brought in. Frankly, we were introduced to to uh, to alcohol almost as a, uh, a provision that was uh, that was brought in for treaty negotiations. They used alcohol to, to cheat us out of our lands and to you know, to to make us more compliant. And so when I think about the alcohol problems or the drug problems, that stuff is coming into our territories. And you know what law enforcement knows it? They know they know the ill effects it has had. Politicians know it, but you know what? They just don't want problems in their communities. They don't they don't care about ours. So this is why I say we've got to protect our women. We've got to protect our children. And that message is being heard. Even if it's only a little more, it's her- being heard a little bit more now than it was five years ago or when I first started doing some of this. So we are moving the dial. We're, we're moving the needle on these issues. You know, we have seen some land acquisition. I mean, look, I, I still cite Gun- the Ganyonga project as, you know, as a major accomplishment. I know we haven't done more of that. And that was back in the seventies, but you know our our grandparents didn't didn't take that aggressive an action as as much as my generation the generation before me did so i i got to give them credit for at least initiating some of this stuff and frankly when i when i see what we have accomplished i see that as encouragement for the next generation on what and how much they can do that perhaps we didn't look the these kids they have, they have a world of knowledge that, that, that we never even developed. And part of it is their computer skills, their communication skills, all of that stuff. They are going to be able to accomplish things. And, and frankly, they're going to be able to network in ways. We, we, we've dreamed about how we could create you know, phone trees or, or ways that we could all you know, get you know, messages to each other real quick. I mean, I've, I've you know I heard somebody complaining about um, Amber Alert not being available to our people. We need our own alert, and let's not use Amber. Let's use a native name. <laughs> but we we need our own system that that speaks to us, and that identifies a native territory and where the likelihood is that that if a missing person uh, has been entered into our system, which territories they might be in next, and but. That's an app that could be on a phone, and I'm you know I've asked for this, but some kids are going to come up with this stuff. My generation is not going to do it; it'll be the next bunch that do. So, I you know I think it's important that people realize we are gaining some ground, we are making some some inroads, we're, we're accomplishing some things. All right, hey, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll take a break and we'll uh, we'll come back. And I, but I want to I want to get into to a little bit more of this. I want to talk about how much we've we've advanced some of these issues and i'll do that when we come back this is john kane this is let's talk native Okay, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Hey, before I get back into it, let me give a shout out to my, my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank Eric White and ERW Enterprises, uh, the good folks at uh, Grand River Enterprises. And look, I also you know, for those of you who, who have contributed to the show and, you know, whether it's a, you know, a checker or there, or, you know, uh, a few people signed up to you know, $5 a month on PayPal. We've, we are on a Patreon. So we're, we're gaining some Patreon subscribers and we are going to uh, be producing here in, uh, shortly, some exclusive content for our, uh, for our Patreon members. So um, look, I, I thank all of you, How, however you do it, whatever you do that can support the work that we're doing, We try to give it back to you. We give it back to you in information. We give it back to you in shows and videos and audio. And look, when, when I can show up at at, at an, at an event or I can host a live event, I haven't been able to do that since this whole COVID thing. Um, But, in places like New York, and you know, in in uh, in Buffalo, and different places, I I've, look. I've spoken at churches, at universities, and oftentimes we did we've done a screening of say the Doctrine of Discovery film, or uh, in a few instances, I've I've shown some of the videos that that, that Jake and I've produced. So we we try to give back, and we give back in in the best way that we can by giving voice to issues that we haven't had. A platform for and we had to create the platform nobody's given this to us look I, I appreciate that that you know wpfw puts us on the air or wbai gives me a time slot but they aren't paying us to do this this is something that we still have to create the resources to do and so when look when i started this whole project over a decade ago i had to buy airtime i had to, i was paying sometimes as much as thirty thousand dollars a year just for airtime and and of course, I had to rely on 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 people to, to to help me come up with the resources to do that. So now we're we are more stable. We we're reaching a wider audience. We're we're not necessarily you know we're, we are not a radio station. We are um, an audio and a video studio, and we produce this content and we get it out in any way that we can. So this is this is what we try to get, do to give back. And and what I personally try to do is. Is, is be at the events when I'm invited or whether I'm notified, I try to um, show up because I got to tell you trying to put together a rally or an event or a protest, man, that's some shaky business. I, I, I used to always say, look, I, I hate these things. I hate these things because if they aren't planned well, they come up, they, they come across as looking you know, weaker than they do, you know, than they do strong. And so I you know and I've gone to some some dismal showings for uh for for various events and I try to say as much as I don't like these things I'm going to support try to support the people who are putting the effort in. And look when when they when they pull off and and look we we did this huge event in Albany uh we called it the Albany Tea Party back when we were fighting the state over taxation and you know, there were thousands of us that showed up. And and it, it was impressive. We we took over the 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 steps of the of the capitol in albany um but you know there, there was a lot of planning that went into that people rented buses people produced or printed t-shirts i mean it was it was it was tremendous and you know look even this event um in in avon uh over this what they call the horseshoe um, because it's like a horseshoe lake from the Genesee River, um, the, the, they called the the horseshoe solar farm. Um, this event, you know, I got to give Paul Winnie. He was a guest on the show. I got to give him uh, you know, props for, for the effort that he's put into this thing and all the people that supported him. The people who produced, you know put put a lunch together. Um, there were a ton of signs and there was a decent media turnout too. So, look, this is how we give back. We give back by by supporting each other in the activist community by supporting each other when, when anybody, when, when any community faces crisis. And of course this, the way, the other way that we, uh, we uh, advance our issues is making sure that we, we team up and we call it allies. I call it accomplices. And, and again, I was really surprised how much we benefited from the black lives matter movement. I was really surprised because, you know, this oftentimes, it, it has been hard. It has been hard for us to to get other groups to understand that we not only have common ground, but we can help each other. And you know, again, my hats off to the folks at the Poor People's Campaign. And that was a, a Martin Luther King idea that that was started during MLK's time, and you know, kind of got put on a back burner. And now it's now it's gaining in uh, you know in some stature, and more and more people are getting involved. But it's, I mean, obviously it is a terrible thing that a crisis like the murder of somebody, an unarmed uh, George Floyd or a a Breonna Taylor or Sandra Bland or Eric Gardner, um, when the, the idea that it takes these kinds of tragedies to bring us together, that's unfortunate. But it also makes it more incumbent that when these tragedies do occur and there is a call out for us to stand with other people, that we take the opportunity to do that. And as native people, look, we saw an outpouring of of people uh, showing up at Standing Rock. We got to change the message a little bit because we don't necessarily need ten thousand people converging on our territories, but we do sometimes need the financial resources. We need the the people who are willing to send news crews or, or different. After Democracy Now came out to Standing Rock. All of a sudden, you had uh, NBC and, uh, and and other forms of NPR showing up uh, out there, but it was hard. Other than uh, uh, the, the the native people who were doing Facebook live streams and were doing their their own uh, their their own broadcasting. I mean, Unicorn Riot and, and a few other really um, out of the mainstream uh, media outlets stepping up. It took them. To get enough attention to, to where the mainstream media would take, uh, would pay any attention, and look, I'm not I'm not saying that we need we need a show on MSNBC. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that, but we do need to to make sure that when somebody does go on NPR or MSNBC and they talk about our issues, that that we contribute in in who's going to carry that message. Uh, too often we hear other people speaking about native issues. We aren't considered our own experts. Even, even the nations, I I talk about this on the show all the time, you know, these, these governments, they hire PR people, they hire consultants, they hire experts that are going to tell, that are going to tell us about how much economic impact we've had on an area. Instead of us doing the research ourselves and us doing our own research in terms of, you know, what is, what, what, what is our, our needs assessment? And how are we fulfilling those needs? Instead, we, we, hire, we hire white people to do it. <laughs> and this is the, the shift. Eventually, it will be more and more of our people doing, you know, shaping and, uh, and delivering our messages. For now, eh, there's, there's some of us. There's some of us that are doing it. But the more of us that do it, the better. And, and you know, that's why I say the doors that I try to open, I try to leave them open. I don't try to nail them shut behind me. I, you know, look what I'm doing here, which is just a, you know, really a podcast. Everybody could, could, and should do something like this. There more and more voices should get out there not to dilute the message, but to solidify the message and the, the crossover that we can do with, uh, with other movements, I think, uh, uh, makes, makes the message stronger. Now, again, I thought I, I mentioned diluting the message. Some of what, what the challenges are is that we sometimes become our own adversaries. We become the agents of indoctrination. And I think that's what voices like mine and others have to do more to push back on that. Even at this event uh, that was at Avon, somebody had a big sign on a truck that said, vote for Mark Charles. <laughs> and of course, you know... If you don't take the time to listen to what people say, I mean, all these people who are promoting, uh, you know, Biden for president, I just I just heard that, uh, you know, um, Biden's considering putting Andrew Cuomo uh, uh, into a cabinet position. Well, look, we've had our problems with Donald Trump, but we've also had our problems with 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 Democratic leaders like uh, like Andrew Cuomo. So we have to be we have to be vigilant and we have to be outspoken and not that we will change the system out there but we need to hold them accountable and we need to we need to condemn the condemnable and not just live with what we can tolerate that's where when i look historically we've only pushed back when something became insufferable and we need to push back early you know one of the things that that's difficult as much as i talk about genocide it's hard to capture somebody's attention, if they're not killing us in the street, and when you look at the violence all over the world, when you look at you know you know death by cop, and the, the, you know all these cell phone videos of uh, of unarmed black people, not men but women too, being killed, we don't have those videos. Why? Because what what befalls native people are oftentimes out of the eye, out of the public eye. It's not. We don't have thousands of people with cell phones standing around when when we suffer death by cop, or when a, 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 a one of our, our young women uh, turn up missing and, and join the statistics of missing and murdered Indigenous women. We don't have that kind of stuff. And look, we do try to raise awareness when we do have um, you know a, a Savannah Graywin circumstance, but oftentimes there's so much violence elsewhere. That we can't get attention drawn to the less violent uh, forms of genocide, the the assimilation and the indoctrination that, as I said, we too become agents of. You know, and so when we, whether we're talking about voting, whether we're talking about census, whether we're talking about enlistment, whether we're talking about church, there are many things that we uh, we turn a blind eye to when it comes to assimilation, and in fact, we oftentimes look to the outside for solutions for our problems inside, which is again, this decolonization trap that we get into until we recognize that we need to solve these problems that we need to come up with our solutions to these problems. We become more exacerbated by, uh, by the outside. Look, if we are pushing for federal legislation or state legislation to help us, it can't go without being noted that if they have the power to legislate for us, then they have the power to legislate over us, and that's where we got to be ca- be cautious. When I condemn the idea of native people living on native territory, voting in the outside elections, it isn't just about the two row wampum. It's about the, filling out a document that says where I sleep at night, where my children are, where my where my family sleeps that that is part of the state in order to fill out uh, a voter registration form. We've got to say that our lands are under the political jurisdiction. And obviously if it's under political jurisdiction, it's under jurisdiction in general to the States, the States control uh, the vote. They control who's on voter rolls. So we sign a document with our names on it, our signatures on it saying, Oh yes, where I live is a, is a part of New York state. No, that's, that's not acceptable. And in fact, Shame on Native leaders for not pointing out that issue. I'm one of the few people who even bring that up. I, there's a lot of people who are indifferent about voting. I, you know, I, I, It was interesting because um, a very well-respected elder by the name of uh, Floyd Elm, or I'm sorry, Lloyd Elm, uh, who passed away a number of years ago. I saw somebody post something on Facebook where he offered his comment about how much he regretted because he had voted and how much he regretted doing so. And, and look, this is, this isn't rocket science. I mean, when, if you understand the math, you realize that we don't affect the outcome of elections, but by joining that system, we have to abandon something of our own. So that's why, you know, that's why I speak out about it and not just against it, but speak about it as much as I do. But I realize that the American system is in real jeopardy right now. And we can't fix it, but at least we can offer a native perspective. So when I look at – I brought this up the other day that the current Supreme Court of the United States is not determined in any way, shape, or form by a democratic process. Four going on five Supreme Court justices have been nominated by presidents who lost the popular vote. They didn't even win – they didn't win the majority, but they they didn't even win the, the largest minority of the vote. I mean, so these guys are not democratically elected. They're elected through a slave era concoction called the electoral college. And that's how they get nominated. And it doesn't end there. The, the, the Senate that approves these right wing judges, those senators represent States that have a significantly lower population than than the, the states that are, or the, than the senators who come from blue states. So that means they are nominated by persons who don't have the popular vote. And they're confirmed by persons who don't have the popular vote because those GOP senators represent a significant minority of the American population. I mean, Wyoming has two senators and they, they have about a half a million people there. California has 39 million and a half people. So there's 39 million more people in California than in Wyoming. And Wyoming has just as many senators. So if it takes a native person to point that out, the obvious shortcomings of their system, And, and the fact is that even if it were a democracy, you're still leaving almost half of your population. And in the case of the United States, more than half of your population dissatisfied with the outcomes of these so called elections. So that's why offering a native perspective to their system, because I think, I think people could be oblivious to, to the flaws in the system. And look, these are not mistakes. Their systems are designed this way. And part of the design was to accommodate Racism. The reason Wyoming has as many senators as uh, as as New York or California is because the conservative view, the slave holding holding states of the United States, wanted to make sure that they had significant and a disproportionate amount of representation in uh, in the in in the Congress. I mean, they did it with the Senate, but they also did it with the with, um, with the House of Representatives with their three fifths compromise, where they got to count. Slaved the enslaved people of their states for representation. Yeah, they weren't going to call them as a whole, a whole human being. That could have been a slippery slope as far as they were concerned. But they could count them as three-fifths of a human being. And that way, slave-holding states could have not only the House uh, disproportionately, uh, a disproportionate amount of power in the House, but they already had a disproportionate amount of power in, in, in the Senate. And of course, these are things that I, look, other people have talked about it, but we need to know this because if we're going to attach ourselves to the American system of, of jurisprudence, of, of, of governance, we better acknowledge what a failure that system is. So that's what we try to do here. That's what we try to do here. And teaching this stuff, you know, whether th- you consider this a classroom or whether people take some of the videos that we've done and use it in their classroom. Look, we, I know that some of the things that, that, that Jake and I have produced here are there. It's commentary that ha, that's not available anyplace else. I mean, you can find Columbus's own words, but can you go to a nine minute video and have it and basically have it laid out for you? No, you, ha, so yeah, we're trying to make this, this stuff more consumable. We're trying to give some of this uncomfortable history put it out there. So it's, so it's more consumable. Not, not because we're trying to spoon feed it. I guess we could say we are, <laughs> but in a way what we're trying to do is make the information more available. And and I say it all the time. If you hear something that I've said on the show that just doesn't sound right, check it out for yourself. And by all means, reach back out to me. If, if I misquote something, if I get something categorically wrong, look, if if I'm, if if my numbers are off a little bit, By all means, share that information with me. But I'm saying hear what we're saying and then verify it yourself. You know, my my friend, Degarundige, he he always talks about how his grandparents told him, you don't take anything for truth until you know it's true. You question everything. Look, we've had a history uh, where we were told not to question. We, I mean, we even get our own, even, even so-called traditional leaders saying, oh, you, you don't need to ask those questions. Or they say, well, you should know this. And then they don't provide you the information to know it. We have, we, you know, th- this idea of children are to be seen and not heard, that's not a native thing. That's a non-native thing. The idea that instructors would, would forbid you to question what they're teaching you in a class, especially when it comes to history. This is something that we no longer tolerate. I mean, I I just had a conversation just the other day with with, with my 10 year old grandson. I said, you don't have to pledge allegiance to the flag. He kind of knew that, but he didn't know. And of course that's my grandson, not my son. My son knew that too. But, but the, the whole idea that the schools don't tell these kids that they encourage kids to do something, but they don't explore with them that they have the option that they can opt out of some of these things. And, when they're being taught some of this fall, these false narratives, that's an important thing. It's an important thing that we know what they're taught so we can correct that teaching. And, and you know what, at, at some point we, we've got to hold the, the these schools that are getting funding for, for educating our kids by various means, but we've got to hold them accountable. And, and you know what, this is again, where I've seen some success. As, as I've talked about the, the Columbus narratives, I'm finding out that more and more schools are not teaching it the way that my generation was taught or even my kids' generation. So the kids now in, in school aren't being taught this happy narrative. There's even some course correction on things related to you know, the myth of Thanksgiving and so many of these other things. I think we got a long way to go. I mean, <laughs> the textbooks that are still you know used in, in many schools, are produced out of Texas. I don't need to say much more than that. <laughs> but if you want to know whether something has a right-leaning bias, then absolutely it does. But I saw textbooks in Canada that were used for, for, for small children in school suggesting that, that we gave up our land to give space to, uh, to, Im- to an immigrant population, that we just gave it up because white people needed more space. I mean, it, it was the most absurd thing I've ever seen. And that's in a modern, current, contemporary uh, workbook. That uh, you know that the kids on the Canadian side are using. So we have a lot of narratives to correct, but we also we are gaining our voice. We are being heard. Are we being heard enough? No, it'll never be enough. But we are making incremental changes, and our stories are being told. We are the ones that are telling them. Look, I got I, I was uh, contacted by three three separate radio stations over the last couple of days. Now part of it is I'm recognizable. So, so people know to call me, but the fact that they were calling me or anybody else is saying, look, we want that perspective. We we want to hear what the native perspective is on this or on that, or on another thing. And, you know, granted, most of it's still geared towards what, what are perceived as native issues. Not so much to say, what's the native perspective on an issue that doesn't directly involve you. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that as many times as we say over and over again, that native people die at, a, at an even higher rate than than black people do in death by cop, that that message doesn't gain the traction that it should. Now, granted, we're a smaller population. So even though it's a higher percentage of our population that die at the hands of, of police, the total numbers are less. But you know what? The same thing can be said for, for white people. White people – there's many more white people killed by cops than, than black people, but they're a population that is significantly larger. Look, 53% of the U S population is white. Only 13% is, uh, is black and native people living on our territories. We represent, you know, less than half of a percent of the U S population. So it doesn't take killing native, um, very many native people to, to spike up in the percentages but to have those those conversations and to talk about look what happens with with our history is that there's there's no context there's no historical context to the things that we experience so when we talk about residential schools nobody talks about well what was ha- what else was happening in the world when we talk about the the dakota 38 even as i as i've heard the story told the significance of that execution taking place the day after Christmas in 1862. And that being a week before Lincoln's emancipation proclamation, how do you not connect those and, and put the, some context to that? When I talk about the the murders in, uh, in, in Oklahoma the Osage murders, how do you not connect that to the Tulsa riots and to the riots that, and they call them rises, but they were massacres and what took place in Tulsa in, uh, you know, uh, in, in 1921, was something that, that occurred repeatedly in, in cities all over the, the United States. And we were victims of some of that same exact kind of, um, of, of violence. But we don't put it in his, into historical context. And so when we talk about residential schools or, or we talk about, you know, kinzua You know, here this is a dam that's built, that's supposed to be a flood control for the city of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And yet, it's a Democratic president who was so afraid of losing Pennsylvania that he, John Kennedy, had to endorse that deal. He expressed remorse, but you know what? It's kind of like hearing people say, well, I heard Ruth Bader Ginsburg was really sorry about her ruling in Oneida. Well, I don't care how sorry you were. If you didn't do anything to change it. And and I'll tell you when I when I when I heard the role that John Kennedy played in Kenzo look I'm not shocked or appalled because he was a democrat and, and because he was you know again th- this popular figure this charismatic figure in American politics because they all carry this baggage Obama carries the baggage of the Dakota Access pipeline Kennedy carries the baggage of uh, of of Kinsua. but every one of those those 45 People who sat as one of the Gaius, the town destroyers, they all carry some of that. And it's on us to, to raise those issues. And we do. So as much as I can point out to these, these, these issues of history and the oppression, I think it's important to realize that we do have power. We do have the ability to affect change, not in a voting booth. You know, not in a, in a necessarily a petition, but we, as the people who, who who occupy our ancestral lands, we still have a lot of control over our fate and we've got to stop believing what we are told that we are theirs, that we are under their jurisdiction, that, that we have been subjugated by them, that we've been, that, that we've already been so assimilated and so indoctrinated. We can't, we can't stand on our own. That's not true. And even if it's only a a few of us, because one voice can be heard by many people. And, you know, again, my friend, uh, he says, as long as there's one of us, as long as there's somebody keeping our traditions going, then we are still here. I want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.